Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Here's Brian, y'all. All right, quick clock it up for Randy real quick. Clock it up for Randy. He did good. Oh, what's up, guys? So I invited some friends today, and I'm so happy they're here. Have a seat. Where do you guys want? And for those of you online, welcome. Um, and I know there's some people in here that we haven't seen before, so wave to somebody across the room. High five somebody. What's up, guys? Hey, high air high five. What's up? What's up, little DJ? All right, let me log in here. And just a couple, oh, let's also clap it up for our tech team that gets here early and leaves late. Clap it up for them real quick. I feel like they don't get enough love ever. And, and the children's ministry, clap it for children's ministry. All right, just a couple housekeeping. Um, we are, we exist, Genesis exists because of your donations, because of your generosity. There's a couple ways to give online, and if you want to go old school and mail it in, if you want to drop it in a little hole, or there's a bucket right here, or a barrel, feel free to, um, yeah, support, and we thank you for that. It means a lot to us. Um, if you're online, thank you. Thank you for joining us. My name is Brian, part of the leadership here, and we want to say hi to Kareen and Sam, who are in Napa with their kids, and, and thank you for taking time to take care of yourself, uh, and for Val and Beth, who are, I think, in Mammoth, and that's awesome, so I'm glad that, they're, um, that we, well, we do that, we can take time for ourselves, and if you're online and you don't know that we meet here, we meet here every Sunday at the Genesis building, come in, <laughs> come in and visit us and join us. Um, it's crazy pack right now. It's, it's hard to get seats. Um, yeah, so just, so just let us know you're coming so we can save you a seat. But, all right, I want to jump right in. The first, uh, I want to introduce you to somebody. I have a picture that I brought, and this is of my, my grandma. And she is no longer with us, but she's uh, one of the first people that I got to know deeply and this morning, I want to talk about relationships, and she's one of the first relationships I ever had, and she's one of the closest people to me that I ever had. I want to introduce you a little bit to her. Her name is uh, Beatrice Carrillo Oliva, or my Lola Betty. Lola's how you say grandma in Tagalog. Um, that's my mother's language. Um, a little bit about her. She was a, a beauty queen, so she was a looker in her day. She was a wife, a mother of six, a grandmother of eight. Um, she could knit anything. She knit us everything. I, have, I still have blankets um, with our initials on them. We have tablecloths and beanies. And during her service, her funeral service, we wore the beanies um, in memory of her. And it was, a, it was a good time. And something I remember, and I think of every grandma, this might, or grandparent that might be true, is that they have a, a favorite, you know? And if you... <laughs> 
And if you don't know this, if you don't know that they have a favorite, then you're not it. You know what I mean? They didn't whisper it in your ear or make it known to you, then you were not the favorite. But my grandma did something different. She told everybody I was her favorite. She says I was her number one, and everybody knew it. She, she would, uh, you guys, some of you know my cousin, Nikki Boy. Nikki Boy was number two, and everybody else just fell under us. But she told um, people she met, people in our family. She even got in fights with her siblings about it because they would say that's not wise to um, label them like that. And so they feel less loved. But she didn't care. She, she knew I was her favorite. That had to do with a few things. We shared, we almost shared a birthday. We're, our birthdays were a day apart. So she felt like I was her um, birthday gift. And then the second was that um, I was the first grandchild she held. So like literally speaking, I was her number one. You know, she had, I had two older cousins who were born in other countries. She got to meet them later, but I was her first grandkid. Our birthdays are a day apart. And she made it very clear as a number one. I spent most of my growing up in her house. We lived in LA and I would uh, get picked up by my grandpa and then spend the rest of the day with her gardening or uh, watching soap operas. Her thing was General Hospital. So I don't know if I dated myself there, but General Hospital was her jam. And she would make us these, like almost every day, these like, uh, we called them special cookies. They were batter, deep fried, and um, just some sugar and cinnamon on top. And my other cousin called them diabetes donuts because you, no, you had no shot but to raise your um, blood pressure after that, right? And some of the, the lacks in our relationship um, towards the end were obviously our age difference. Couldn't communicate very well. We didn't understand each other very well. I got a chance to take care of her in her later years, and she would lie to me about the food she could eat, so she would ask me to get her french fries when she's not supposed to eat french fries, and that was a bad look. And um, I lied to her a lot because, you know, she, when I was a kid, she would have the power to beat me up, you know? So, like, you lie to your grandma. And so because of these things, the relationship could have been stronger, but it was a, it was a very clear relationship we had, right? And so... My talk this morning is about relationship, and I wanted to take a more, I didn't know what approach I wanted to take when getting into this. I was going to take a whole bunch of different pieces of Jesus' relationships and like, try to knit them together, but I think I wanted to take a more like scientific approach this morning, and by that I mean I want to take a small part of scripture, not even the full complete passage or chapter, and I wanted to like put a microscope to it and see how many fragments um, we could see to represent Jesus and relationships. So if you're online and joining us and you want to turn your Bibles to John chapter 11, if you're here or um, they're going to put on the screen here, John chapter 11, we're starting in right off the top, chapter one. And it begins with a story about a man who is sick. And there's a famous story. His name is Lazarus. And I'm just going to jump right in. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And I want to pause right there. I want to identify that there are a few different relationships going on in this. Um, off the bat, there's, the rela- there's four people, but there's a relationship between Lazarus and there's a relationship between Lazarus Martha and Mary, and Lazarus and Jesus, and there's also the relationship between uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So there's, there's a couple dynamics that are happening here. Um, when he heard this, like, when, if you think about what's, what's happening here, I think there's, there's, there's kind of something interesting, because off the top, there's, there's a few things. It says, Lord, the one that you love is sick. 
And to be labeled as the one that Jesus loved is, uh, I think, a tremendous thing, something that I have to strive for. So then know, something, you know, know Jesus so deeply that you can say, um, Jesus loved me and I can call on him. And I, I started thinking about what's important about any of these relationships. Well, we know Mary and Martha are close enough to Lazarus that he's, she's, a, she's able to take care of them. And we know that there's some relationship to Jesus that they can call on him. Also, there's a really cool insert there. It says, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus was now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. I thought that was really powerful because it lets you know like Mary and Jesus have had interaction. That's also talking about the future because that happened later in, in their interaction. So it's like telling you this is, there's something intimate going on. We're not talking about strangers here. When I'm calling upon somebody, it's about, it's, I'm, I'm calling upon somebody that I know. And um, I want to continue. All right, so verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. All right, so let's think about something. Who was Jesus speaking to um, in this when he says, the sickness will not end in death? Who is he, who is he speaking to? Yeah, we don't know. It's, it could have been the messengers. It could have been John who wrote this. It could have been the people in his house, the disciples. And I think it's important to think about who he's not speaking to. He's not speaking to Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He's not telling them this will not end in death. So to have, I, need a, I need to give you a picture of what's happening. So... Um, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in one house. They send messengers to call out Jesus. And then Jesus hears this, and he goes, um, this will not end in death. He just says this to whoever, the messengers in the house. And I imagine there's two different scenes going on. And I, I kind of painted a picture. I made something on Canva, if you guys want to pull that up. I, I pictured a split screen going on, right? There's this craziness of uh, a sister, a sis, two sisters taking care of their sick brother, and the other picture of Jesus and his friends, who are very relaxed. Uh, so I, I made this in, uh, in Canva. There's not a lot of representations of disciples on there. So Jesus looks like Jesus, but everybody else looks like hipsters. Um, <laughs> so on one side, Lazarus is sick. Um, the sisters are in shambles. They send two messengers out. These are these two gentlemen in, in very hip clothing. Over to Jesus' house. Jesus' response is very abnormal, right? He says, no, this is not going to end in death. And then he does something even more interesting. He says, I'm going to wait two days before I go see them. And I think this is uh, something to pay attention to, which we're going to explore. And then in the back, uh, also there's a Christmas tree. I think he should get some credit for that. He never does. Uh, There's some Christmas trees and there's a little, his disciples in the back are not even worried because he says something like, he says something like, uh, no, this is not going to end in death. And that, and that to them is like, all right, he's going to be fine, right? And this is the mood that I'm trying to, this is the mood I'm trying to paint the picture of. I also want us to pay attention to what Jesus didn't say. He said, this sickness will not end in death. That's not the same as conveying that Lazarus would live, um, which he didn't. Lazarus died. If you know the rest of the story, Lazarus died and later on Jesus showed up and, and resurrected him. So I think what we're talking about is intention. The idea here is that death would not be the ultimate outcome. The true object was that God, the Father, and Son would would get the glory. So 
back to the scientific method, I want to uh, explore two words. They use the word now, and they use it twice. In verse 1, they say, now Lazarus was sick. In verse 5, he says, now Jesus loved him. And I think this is important because it's talking about present. He's saying, now Lazarus was sick. So it's not saying Lazarus was sick a year ago. It's also saying, now Jesus loved them. So it's not Jesus used to love them. Jesus didn't bring someone back to, from the dead that he used to love. Jesus didn't uh, love Lazarus late, uh, before or later, I think this is really important for me because it lets me know that what they're talking about is how we identify with Jesus right now. And the other word I want to identify or check in with was so, the word so, S-O. It is a small word, and it says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he waited two days. And the word so has so many meanings, and it's so adaptable. I started looking into it as like an adverb, adjective. It's a whole sentence. We could say so. Or we could say something is so good. That burrito was so delicious. In this particular... Yeah, that's Gil's favorite. Uh, In this particular sense, he's using it as a conjunction. He's using it to connect two thoughts, two sentences. And it lets me know that Jesus is talking very intentionally about um, what he's doing. This is not an accident. When he says, um, so he heard that Lazarus was sick, and he waited two days. That lets me know it was very purposeful. And if I say there was a small fire, so I put it out, there was a hole in the ground, so I jumped over it, what I'm saying is that was the action I took for the, the response to the, the situation that needed to be taken care of. Later, we learned Lazarus had been dead for four days. And this kind of gives us insight to how long, um, how far Jesus was away from them, right? So he's, he's been dead for four days took him about, the messengers, about a, about a day to get to him and a day to walk back over to Mary and Martha. So we could, we could expect them. And in, in those days, the one day walk was about 20 miles. It's not really important where he was. But I started noticing that um, the 48 was in there. And why, what's the importance of the 48? Uh, what's the importance of two days? And why does it, why does it even matter that it, they listed 48 hours? Um, I believe that the Bible writes things on purpose, and so I started like researching what 48 uh, might represent, because um, I was like, he, he, he waited on purpose. He says, so he waited, which is interesting. If you loved somebody, and someone said, Dante, your mom is sick, your immediate response would be go see your mom, right? I think. And, um, but it's, Jesus finds out the one he loves is sick, and he says, so he waited two days. Um, to me, that's, that, that's, that's crazy. So I started digging in. What does two days represent? So I started figuring out two days after you die, what happens? Uh, your body starts to stiffen up. There's like a decomposition situation. There's rigor mortis. Um, there's all kinds of gross stuff that starts happening. And I didn't find any, any gems there. I was like, all right, well, the body stiffens up, it hardens up, and some fluids come out, and it gets real, gets real funny. Um, I looked up 48 Hours on Google, and Eddie Murphy's movie in 1982, 48 Hours, popped up. So I started reading about that because I never watched the movie. It seems like an interesting movie. Um, but, but I did find an interesting thing. Um, and Sam's always urging us to look at the Bible as like an ancient text and dig through with, with like an, an ancient lens to be able to apply it to our culture, right? And so back when this was written... There's this midrashic tradition, which is a Jewish ritual, 
ritual with, with, that says after death, there was a tradition where the guarding of the body um, took place. It was believed that the soul was confused of where it was and would hover over and around the body for three days, right? And I thought that was really cool, like a, like a cool picture that sometimes the family or a paid guard would watch over this body that wasn't completely dead yet because the spirit was still trying to figure out where it was going to go. This is what they thought. This was the ritual. So Jesus being this tradition-breaking rebel that I think he was by showing up on the fourth day um, would tell me something like God showing up to a situation no matter how long this is this is taking place that um, God doesn't operate in time you know and if you want to get real poetic um, you could say um, because it says the spirit left the body within three days it can leave and it's like God's saying on the fourth day, it doesn't matter how far the spirit goes. It doesn't matter how far the spirit leaves the body. I can, I, I can still pull it back. I can still bring it back. I can still bring this back to life. And I thought that was good news, you know? So, um, when I decided to talk about relationship, it was kind of hard to land on exactly what I wanted to, what I wanted to talk about. Jesus had so many, and I had to be prayerful about it. Um, some of the topics that I was considering was like uh, servitude. They had this thing about bond servants. If you don't know what those are, um, they were like indentured servants who essentially were slaves. And they, were, they had a seven-year term with their master. And after the seven years, they could decide. They loved their master so much that they can stay with their master. And this is, this is a story growing up that I used to get my ears pierced. Um, because I told my mom, there's a... Um, to be marked as a bond servant, once you decided you want to stay with your master for seven years, they would put nails in your ears. And so when you would see a, a slave with nails in their ears, they, you would know they weren't a regular servant, they were a bond servant. And this would separate the people who were dedicated to their master, right? And so I told my mom, I'm so dedicated to God, I want to pierce my ears. And she's like, go ahead. So I pierced, that's how I got my ears. That's how I got my ears pierced. And I, I, I told her that I was a bond servant for God, right? So I wanted to explore, I, that was one of the options. I... I wanted to talk about Jesus waiting. Um, I think that's really intimate. All the stories in the Bible where it says Jesus waited. Um, there's, there's beautiful stories of like intimacy when you're like, when I'm waiting for somebody. Like I, I was waiting for Alex. I prayed for Alex um, before I met her, you know, and I think there's something beautiful. There's so many stories about that, right? Um, Alex mentioned maybe breaking bread, all the intimacy around uh, my culture and food. Um, all the times Jesus sat with people and, and, and ate with them and, and the stories that were shared around that. Um, and I looked up, Googled, who was Jesus' best friend? I mean, that was just one of my concerns. I don't know why. And it's very unclear who Jesus' best friend was. I think he has a, a whole bunch. And um, my, fascin- my fascination with relationship has gotten me to start a book, which God knows when this will be done, but it started it a while ago, and I've been chopping away at it, and it is about relational currency within the artistic community, and it's essentially talking about the move between becoming a amateur into being paid as a professional artist, and there's so many of us that have a creative art, and so many people I talk to that have a very similar story about how do I turn my art into... um, into money? How do I monetize this? How do I become a professional? How do I find myself where I'm getting paid to do my art, right? And what I've, the conversations that have always led to um, 
relational currency, being able to talk to people, being able to network. I'm in sales now, and I learned that I'm not selling a product. I'm selling myself. I'm selling the opportunity to know me and trust me to be able to lead you to the thing that you came in for, right? And I think in the same sense, Jesus was um, leading by not showing up right away. Jesus was telling Martha and Mary that this is, um, this, I love you, and this is my response. And Martha, Mary, and Lazarus also gets a kind of response to Jesus. So, with uh, Jesus, so, all right, I'm, I'm going to go back real quick. There's also, uh, humans have tried to give language to different types of, of relationship, and they've used things like this thing called, uh, and organizations have adopted this, this is Myers-Briggs. Uh, strengths finder now it's the Enneagram which is basically trying to give language to how we understand each other and how we can uh, people have used it for bad too they put people in a box and you kind of see someone I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram 4 if you guys don't know what the Enneagram is kind of like the strengths finder Myers-Briggs and it, it labels me as an individualist somebody that feels like I, I can't understand I think that nobody understands me and once I understand that then I can relate to other people a certain way That's just, this is given language right and um, the world is so concerned with data. It's become like the most valuable asset on the planet. How people interact with each other in this world. Um, and it leads to the interest that leads to the models of business, businesses to feed those desires. In two days, two days wait. What does this represent? I believe some of us right now are inside of a two days. We're inside of two days that represent something significant. It's the liminal space between your faithful ask to God and God's answer. These people knew Jesus, and Jesus waited. There's people that didn't even know Jesus. There's people in the Bible that didn't even give of their name. There's the lady I talked about last time that just touched the cloak of Jesus and was healed. She talks about Jesus healing these lepers and the blind, and none of them have names. And the people that he loved, he waited to heal them. And it says, for God's glory. Two days for the one you love, Jesus. Two days represents God's time, not ours. It represents any amount of time that we're waiting on God and how we respond to his, res- to his response. It's like, imagine what Mary's going through at the house, calling to God in faith, and his response was no, not yet. It's a loving response, but it's a not yet. Is your response to God's answer consistent to what you know to be true about God? Like, when I started asking myself that question, I'll read it one more time. Is your response to God's answer consistent to what you know to be true about God? I started thinking about, like, we have a friend named Ryan who's chronically late. He's, chronic, he's never on time. And what should I expect from Ryan based on what I know about Ryan if he shows up late? I shouldn't trip if he's late. I shouldn't, I shouldn't get upset with Ryan because... He's proven to me that he's never on time, right? What do I expect from God based on what we know? This is what part of the relationship we are focused on today. 
God not doing what we want or even what we think he should, exploring God's character through this story of Jesus, we can conclude that Jesus is not on our timeline. That showing up right now when we thought he should would not bring God the glory. God's promise to us is that he will be there. And that doesn't include comfort or time frame or all yeses or all noes. This is kind of, this is the essence of the story. This is the, when I was, I was reading it over and over again, and I was asked, telling Alex, I have, I'm having a hard time like grasping um, the fullness of the relationship that Jesus is having with me. Because I really, if I'm honest, hate that Jesus took the two days. I, I know the end of the story, but I know that if I called upon Jesus, I want him to show up. Um, I have a relationship with Jesus. He should, he should come. This is, this is what I, I'm there for you. I'm, I'm, God, I'm, Jesus, I'm, I'm calling you because I know you can. And, but you're not, where are you? You know, like this is the kind of um, conversation I've had with Jesus my whole life. Like if you're who you say you are, if you do, if you can do what I know you're capable of doing, why are you not here? Um, and now my brother's dead, right? And there's a really cool word um, in, in the African culture. It's umbutu. Umbutu is a South African word, and there's no direct translation in the English language. And translated loosely, it's kindness, humanity, compassion, goodness. It's kind of regarded as like a fundamental um, approach to life in Africa. And my favorite translation of this word is, I am because we are. And God says he is the great I am. So if we translate this backwards, we can say, we can, we are because of the I am. So, I, so why is God so concerned with relationship? Why is there over 600 commandments in the Old Testament? And Jesus says, I have a new law. Love God and love your neighbors. Why is proximity to God so essential? And it's love. That's the answer. Erwin, Erwin McManus quotes, love is like God's shadow. When you experience love, God is standing there. The other day we were at my house. It was me, Alex, Sam, um, my friend Nikki, and, and our other friend James. And we were having a deep conversation about cultural stuff. And the, the uh, topic of transgender came up. And everybody was expressing their version of what they understood it to be and um, what they didn't understand. And I remember um, Sam and James kind of ended up talking deeply about it. And then James asks a really profound question. He says, so what's your proximity to the, cult, to the community? How, essentially what he's saying is how close are you? How close are you to um, the community that you can talk about a community like that? Are you part of the community? Are you part of somebody's life that is transgender? Um, what we don't understand, what we don't, what we have a hard time understanding is that when you get close to God, when you get close to Jesus, when you have a relationship with Jesus, the closeness should alleviate some of the pressure of um, of what I think that we're dealing with. There's kind of this substance that all of us are like, why do I have such a hard time dealing with today's culture? Why do I have such a hard time understanding certain sects, certain groups, certain, certain, certain people? And, it, and it's like, we, Jesus is like, it's right here. You're not close enough. And if, and if you weren't close enough, and if you were close enough, 
um, you would still have to trust me with the time frame, you know? And I think this is like a, um, I could probably think about this for, for years because I feel like there's so, there's so much meat on the bone, even though we read such a small, a small piece of scripture. And there's a thing like religion asks, how much will this cost me? While relationships will ask, how can I pay before the other person knows what it costs? And I think this is like, like essential, right? Because we're, we were, a lot of us were raised in like a religious background where it says, well, what does this thing cost me? How is this going to affect me? Um, how will I get fed from this? And then, but relationship doesn't ask that. Relationships ask, what can I do to serve? How can I get out and um, change this relationship? How can I be a difference in our relationship, right? So as we're reading, as we're reading this, we kind of have a disadvantage. Um, and I think this happens a lot when I read the Bible because we know the story, right? We read the story of Jesus and we know he comes back from the dead. We know that he's saved a bunch of people. And I think there's a weird thing that happens when we know the end of the story. Like, have you ever watched a movie um, where you've watched it a million times and you're watching with someone that's never watched the movie and you're like nudging them and being like, pay attention to this part. It has something to do with the end. If you don't pay attention to this part, you won't understand that later. And you're doing this and the person's not so invested, but you've seen it so many times as your favorite movie. I think this happens to us when we are, when we're reading the Bible and we know the end, you know, we have a, um, we have a bad, a bad view. We, we, we're, actually paying attention to what happened instead of what's happening now, you know? We're, we're paying attention to, if we're really believing that this word is alive and it's true and we're living by this thing and this is the thing we're taking into the world and handing to other people and say, this is the best version of good that I know. Someone asked me the other day, why do you follow Jesus? Because I haven't found a better role model yet. I haven't. I haven't found a better person that I want to follow and when I do, I'll follow him. But I haven't. So I'm, instead, I'm going to read this book and I'm going to read it as if it pertains to my life right now, and I'm going to show other people what good looks like. And that's, I think, the, the essence of what, what, what good looks like. And I think there's a, um, it, it kind of blows my mind that when I read the end of the story, if you, if, if you never read the story of Lazarus, essentially Jesus makes his way over there. Lazarus is dead. Mary and Martha are highly disappointed. Um, they're saying, Jesus, if you were here, he wouldn't have been dead. Um, they go over to the tomb. He, like, they, they talk about the smell. And, um, and he brings back Lazarus, and the next day he's, he's up to talk about it. At Starbucks with his friends, right? And, um, and all of this, he's saying... The only reason I'm doing this, the only reason uh, I waited, the only reason Lazarus is back to life, the only reason um, any of this is happening is because this is to give God glory. Meaning, if we flip it, if I don't do it, if I do it, if I kill everybody, it, it, it's like, it's like there's, he's saying the, the outcome is always, Jesus is showing the outcome is always to give God glory. And I think this is like, hard for us as someone that has a relationship with Jesus because we want Jesus to, to, to do what's best for us. Um, we want Jesus to fill a situation in our life that would make my life better. And, and that's not clearly how he operates, right? So 
Um, so what's happening now? Is the word alive? And if so, where in your life have we allowed it to seep in? How long have you been waiting on God? Two days? Ten years? Do you have a relationship close enough to Jesus that you can call on him? And if so, are you ready um, for how he will respond? What is your two days? What are you waiting on? And if you're in a position to heal or save, who are you serving? God will respond. Um, I started wrestling with this idea. Alex and I were in Mexico not too long ago, and I, we, we were super hungry, couldn't find a place to eat. We sat down, and we, we ordered whatever was on the menu, and there happened to be this thing called broccoli soup. Here, um, it, when I go order broccoli soup at, Star, uh, at Subway, it's like cheese, and it's super thick and hot. But literally got over there, and it was just water and and broccoli and they just heated it up and they just put it on the table and we're like should we eat, even eat this you know we considered not eating it because, but then we're like is this rude or we're super hungry so we tried it and for sure that's what it was it was broccoli salt and water or something like it was just no cheese no goodness no salt <laughs> um, but then I started thinking about how did that pertain to uh, relationship I have a relationship with Subway cheddar broccoli soup <laughs> My relationship is projected onto every broccoli cheddar soup that I've ever had, right? And so when I get something that doesn't look like it should be um, cheddar broccoli soup, I expect it to be a certain way. When you have a relationship with Jesus and you see him a certain way and you don't expand what other versions of that could look like, then we get really caught up in what it should look like or what we think it should look like or what someone said it should look like or what your mom told you it should be. And we get in a very dark place. because it, And then God shows up and says, I'm all kinds of broccoli soup, you know? I'm all kinds of broccoli. I, I, can, I can make anything, you know? And, and we're like, no, but this is what broccoli soup is. This, is. this is the way it should be because this is the way my mom made it and the way the lady at Subway gives it to me and the way it tastes good. This feels good. And, and, and it's almost like Jesus, God saying, but, but, you, but you said you were hungry, like, you know? And that's, that's a version of me. That, that's not the best to you, but that's what you needed, you know? It's like Jesus, like Erwin said, Jesus isn't always answering the question you, you're asking. He answers the question you have. You know, and I think there's like a, a, a profoundness to this where we're always searching for like this, uh, this connection to God that makes sense to us when he's like, just sit with me and listen to me and spend time with me and, 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 and eat soup with me, you know? Um, and I was supposed to ask a question at the beginning. This was kind of Sam's thing. At the end, if for visitors and those on, online, and I hope you come visit, there's, we do like a few minutes after where we ask questions and try to... Um, have conversation, and this is always to lead to conversation, always to lead to more questions, it is never to take mine, my, our message or any message as complete truth. I think the only way that we learn is through conversation. And the, the question that I came up with is, what makes a relationship significant? So if you could be thinking about that while Randy's singing, we'll take a few minutes after to just chat about that, if you, if you have time to stick around. Um, and yeah, and thanks, Sam, for giving me the opportunity to speak today. This jumbled uh, broccoli soup uh, thought, thought 
process, but uh, I'm going to go pray us out. All right. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be up this morning to wake up. We thank you for community. We thank you for a space, a warm space where we come together. We pray for all those who are far right now, all those that are sitting inside of two days waiting for you to show up. Reveal to us what the two days is, that you're on your way, that the good news is that you are coming, that you will, that you will be here. God, use us as a community. Um, help this resonate into our spirit, into our heart. Help us move to a place where something that was spoken today, something that was suggested, assumed, that it move into our heart and we can use it towards you. And we give you this time. We give you this day. We give you this church. Thank you for using us. Um, thank you for, for loving us. We, and we give you the rest of this day. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'm doing the Sam outro. Uh, may you grow in relationships with each other. Um, may you learn to love each other deeper. And if you have time, stick around and have a conversation with us. Thank you. Have a beautiful day. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.